0: Good morning, and how is everyone doing? Hopefully everyone's doing all right. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter six, and as I said, there's an outline, uh, and also the bulletin right back there at the ministry counter, one side's the bulletin, the other side is the message outline. There, there is a cost for everything, everything that comes our way, including our own salvation, there was a high cost. We didn't pay it, Jesus paid it all. It came to us, it was free, right? We didn't do anything for it. But there's a high cost for that. There was a high cost for salvation. There, there was an election cost. I mean, I don't know if you realize that over $14 billion was paid out in the last election, give or take a few hundred million dollars. So, what is it a cost? There's a cost for everything. If you go to a, a retailer and you go to someone, uh, uh, kind of a, someone who's an agent or some sort, and they kind of give their spiel, they're trying to sell you something, sooner or later you come to them and say, okay, what's that going to cost me right what's the cost of that what are you talking about here what's it going to cost me is what, what you ask there's a cost for our discipleship for discipleship jesus said in luke chapter 14 anyone who is not curious cross and follow me cannot be one of my disciples there's a cost for most in our world when you talk about receiving jesus they don't ask what the cost is going to be but many parts of the world they do they do salvation is free But the cost of following Jesus can be very high for many people around the world, right? If you have your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, we're we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts in our series called Unstoppable. Unstoppable. And last week we looked at that we found that the church was in a mess, right? Uh, We found the apostles were supposed to be teaching and preaching the Word of God and and praying, and they found themselves helping with the the lives of the needs of the poor, helping them. And there were some there, the Grecian widows, who were being overlooked. So what they did, the solution came. They chose seven men, and those seven men who had good reputations, who was full of the Holy Spirit, who had great wisdom, and were chosen to take care of these widows. And one of them, a man by the name of Stephen, who is now going to be singled out, and that's what our passage is going to focus on, on Stephen, one of those men. What we want to talk about today is following Jesus will demand high commitments high commitment do you have high commitment what does that look like when we say high commitment well let's begin reading acts chapter 6 verse 8 to find out verse 8 now stephen a man full of god's grace and power did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people most of the signs that they were doing probably were healings where God had given them the power to heal uh, the lame, those who could not see, those with diseases, those with illnesses. They were, their lives had been changed, right? And p- many people came to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. People's lives are changed for the better, right? And everyone should be happy. Was everyone happy? No. The religious leaders that we see constantly, the religious leaders are not happy. They're very angry because it's disrupting their system of things that they were doing. Let's continue reading verses 9 through 12. So opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia in Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin, these are these big shots. Remember we talked about them. They're mostly Sadducees. There's Pharisees. They're religious leaders. They didn't recognize Jesus. As a matter of fact, they crucified Jesus, right? They murdered Jesus. And so Stephen is before these 71 men. They're nobles. They're leaders. They're priests. And he's standing before them. Verses 13 through 15. They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Just look at that. So what does high commitment look like? If you have your outline, high commitment looks like Jesus. Get a picture of Jesus. It looks like Jesus is what it does. And when you read this passage and read the verses in chapter 7, especially at the end, you will find a number of similarities between the death and trials of Jesus and those of Stephen. You find a lot of similarities. You first of all find that they were both, the Bible says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwelled them, and they're filled with the Spirit of God. Second, it says they were violently opposed by their own people. It was their own people that were coming against them, not outsiders, their own people. Third, you find their opponents really couldn't stand up against them. They couldn't do that. They didn't have any arguments. So they had to bring in false witnesses to come against them, and, and the charges they brought were blasphemy, speaking against Moses, speaking against God, speaking against the temple. Fourth, you find that both Jesus and Stephen, they responded to their critics with dignity and biblical accuracy. They used the word of God, and they used it very well. Fifth, you find both were put to death, but in their trials that they had, they were found guilty, but these trials were not based on the court of law, but they were the rage and anger of the people of that time. That's what it was, the rage and anger of the people. And it's always determined what was going to happen, right? They knew what they were going to do. Number six, You find that both Jesus and Stephen forgave their murderers. They forgive them. Ask God the Father, forgive them. And number seven, you find both of them, moments before their death, basically gave up their spirit to God the Father, is what they did here. So what does commitment look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. It looks just like Jesus. You look in high commitment, it's Jesus. And Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. If they hated me, they're gonna hate you. It says, because the servant isn't any greater than their master, right? And if they did that to Jesus, they're gonna do that to us. I love the verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. If you don't know that verse, write it down and highlight it in your Bible and get to know that verse because it tells us, it says, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we kind of fix our eyes, not on everything in the world, but on Jesus. Really fix them up on Jesus. And it goes on, Who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He lived that kind of life, didn't he? Jesus did. High commitment. So what does high commitment look like? I want you to have a picture in your mind what it looks like Jesus. Jesus is, is the picture of high commitment, right? Jesus. Secondly, what does high commitment look like? High commitment is sharing the truth with compassion for people. It's sharing the truth with compassion for people. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? So they asked him a four-word question. The answer that he gives are the next 52 verses that he gives them with this. Remember when Peter says in the book of Peter, 1 Peter 3.15, he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Stephen was ready. He was prepared to give an answer, and not just a short answer, the long answer form. I'm ready. Come and ask me. I'm ready to give you an answer for my hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, he's talking to these religious big shots. And so not a nobodies, they're the big shots. These are people who understood the law, who knew the law, and they heard it many times. And they probably had memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew those books. So now Stephen is standing there before them, and he's telling them, and this is what he does. He goes through the history of the Hebrew people is what he does. Starting there with Abraham, how Abraham was called by God, and a nation was formed. The Jewish nation was formed, and God called Abraham. And, and then he talks about Joseph being sold as a slave into Egypt, and how God he brought redemption through Joseph. And then he shares about Moses, how God used Moses to bring the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. He's sharing this whole thing with them. And you want to kind of say to Stephen, Stephen, don't you know, these guys know what you're talking about. These guys have taught this. They understand this. They got the facts down probably better than you you do. So why are you wasting 52 verses, well, really 45 of these 52 verses to these people who, who already know all this? They know all this, what you're sharing. But you know the answer to that, right? You know the reason why he's doing that. Because it's possible to have all the knowledge in your mind, but it makes no difference in the heart, right? That you've heard it many, 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 many times, and you have it here, but you haven't let it register yet in your heart. See, no amount of knowledge can produce faith. No amount of knowledge can equate to faith. Knowledge is a basis from which the Holy Spirit can use that knowledge, the Bible tells us, based on the knowledge of the Word of God. And the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit takes that Word of God, and He uses that to transform lives. It has to go from here to here, though. And say, there are lots of people that have their minds filled with a lot of good stuff out there, a lot of good stuff, but they have no faith. They have no hope. Therefore, they have no future. And so Stephen was sharing with this with them, and he's sharing them the truth, but he's doing it with compelling compassion. He's really passionate about this, and he's got this passion for Jesus, and he wants to share the truth, but with a compassion for people. And let's read Acts chapter 7 verse 51, what he says to them. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. That isn't a big deal. Every word he's saying here is really important. Every word he says here. These people were proud of their circumcision. These people were proud of their heritage. These people were proud that they were chosen as the children of God, that they were chosen people. They were proud of all that. And he goes on to say in verse 52 and 53, was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not not obeyed it. What he's saying is he's going through the Hebrew history. He says, you have all the opportunity to come to believe, but you resist it. You have it all. You have it all right in front of you. The law you received from angels, he said, you've stiff-armed that law. You've pushed it back. He said, you resisted the Holy Spirit just like your fathers have done before. You've done all this. All these prophets from the Old Testament, they told you the truth, he says, but you persecuted all them, all those prophets. He said, you put to death the ones who talked to you about the righteous ones who are coming. Matter of fact, you murdered that righteous one. You crucified him. That's what he's telling them. And what he's saying to them here, finally, he says, you've got to take personal responsibility because the righteous one who came, he died for you. He died for you. And he's trying to bring it around to them so they might see the truth, the how the, all this comes for their salvation. And now maybe there are some, in Stephen's case today, would look at him and say, you know, Stephen, if you're standing in front of a group of, of men, this group, the Sanhedrin, who's got a lot of power. And they hold your future in your hands. And you might want to choose your words very carefully. So a lot of people might say, you know, how can I choose the words to find common ground with these people that we can kind of find common ground so i can talk with them and maybe and i'm not so harsh with the truth maybe i can't find out the kind of common ground but what he does he says he calls them to uh, the uncircumcised of the heart and what he's telling them the truth this is probably not going to influence friends and win over people right sharing Sharonette, too. They're to the uncircumcised of the heart they took that very personal what he said there but Stephen gave them the truth, is that's what he was doing. Giving them the truth, but he shared it with compassion. And he was calling them to action. I'm giving you the truth, how this all works out for your redemption, now come to action. Place your faith in the one who came, the righteous one who came and died for you. So what does high commitment look like? A commitment to truth, yet a compassion for people is what it looks like. Commitment and compassion come together. Neither one of them being compromised. And sometimes what happens in our life, we can be compassionate for people, but we dilute the truth. We try to find too much of a common ground with someone else. And what we do, we dilute the truth of God's Word, and we don't stand up for God's Word because we have such a compassion for them. So our message can't resonate. Our message has no power because we diluted the Word of God. And sometimes we come with such strong truth, we don't have a compassion for the people. We're just beating them down with the Word of God too. We have to have both. We have to have the truth, yet a compassion for people. And share it with compassion. But not dilute the truth. Share the whole truth with them. What is the truth? The Word of God, share that with them. But with compassion for them. So what does high commitment look like? The third thing, when we see this, looks like Jesus. It's sharing the truth, yet with compassion for people. High commitment is effective it's highly effective. When we are committed, we see the effectiveness it has, that God uses it in an amazing way. I read an article, it was really a video of of a man from India, a Sheik Andrews, and he shares three stories of persecution to kind of give the context of what Christians are dealing with in India for Jesus. And I wanted to share those three stories with you this morning, if you don't mind. Really quick, so you just get an idea what some of them go through. The first story that is shared was by a man by the name of david he said david accepted the lord as a young man and he came uh, from a communist background west Bengal was the state in which he lived was under communist reign for 34 years but only recently the communist party lost power and and now another party's in power so david came to the lord from a communist background and once he gave his heart to jesus david is so passionate about jesus so he couldn't wait to go back to his communist friends And he wanted to share Christ with them. That's what he wanted, more than anything. I don't want to go share Christ with my communist friends. So they said, David, they said, well, have one last meeting with you, and then you can go on and do whatever you want to do. So David went to the meeting, hoping of sharing the the loving salvation of Jesus with them. And in that meeting, they gave David a cold drink. And he took the drink, and he drank from, it without thinking, his friends, who he had known for many, many years— would do something so harsh in his life. A couple of minutes later, uh, David became so sick and he was rushed to the hospital. And he spent the next six months in the hospital because they had laced his cold drink with mercury. And so for the next six months, the skin on his body would break open and the flesh of his body would literally fall off, is what his flesh did. And David cried out to God and said, God, have, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And it's been over 25 years since that had happened And David has not since then eaten one solid meal that he eats. He lives on digestive biscuit and milk for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for every meal. Digestive biscuit and milk. That's what he eats. But David still has a great compassion for Jesus. And he has led hundreds of people to Jesus Christ because he has a love for people, and he has a love for Jesus. And some of them are his very communist friends. He still went back there and shared Christ, no matter what they did to him. He still shared Christ with them. And David still has a passion for Jesus Christ, and he has a passion to reach his communist friends. The second story is a man by the name of Abul. who had many questions before coming to Christ. But after six months of meeting with people, he finally put his faith and trust in Jesus. He didn't reveal his identity after he came to faith in Christ, and he found out that he was a teacher of Islam in a mosque in India. And at the age of 12, that he had memorized the Quran from front to back and back to front, that he knew it so well. But once he came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior, he removed his beard because he wanted everyone to know that he belonged to Jesus. He wanted everyone to know that he loved Jesus so much. So he went back to his village all excited to share Christ with him. He began to share what they did to him they beat him so severely almost killed him of the beating he endured for that and his mother rejected him and told him this it was better to look at the face of a pig than look at your face remember they couldn't have anything to do with pork anything to do with uh pigs or anything and then that bully disappeared for two years and when he came back from those two years he told of all these muslims coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior as he spent time with them. And he has baptized more than 250 Muslims for Jesus. And one day when he was baptizing nine people, the last person to get baptized was this lady. And she walked in the water and he held her. And he says, at one time, this lady says, it was better for her to look at a pig than to look at her son's face. And then he said, Mom, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, our has experienced a lot of pain, many beatings, many beatings for Jesus, but he has a passion for his own people, and he wanted to go and reach his Muslim friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter how many beatings he endured, even if it cost him his life, because he has a passion for Jesus, and he has a passion for people. The last story, the third one was by a man by the name of Manus Deis. Manus was called the minister for Jesus, and he, he felt the need to leave the city as he's ministering for Jesus and go in the villages in India with the name of Jesus Christ. But many people thought he was out of his mind because he had a very, very successful ministry in the city. But he felt God was calling him to go out in the open villages that had never heard the gospel now that they were open to the gospel. So Manuś goes off and he spends the next 12 years out in the villages and he opened up almost 1,400 villages with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One evening, Manus brought his wife, Alusha to the bus station with their little boy. And she got on the bus, and she was going to the city to a women's training uh, program. Meanwhile, after she was there, word came to her that Manus had been killed. He had been killed by two men because he had repeatedly witnessed to them about Jesus. And and they had told him uh, again and again, we don't want to hear about that name. Don't mention that name anymore to us who's kept on telling them about Jesus because he told them, you don't have any hope without that name. It's the only way you can have hope. So that night when Alusha got on that bus to Calcutta, these men thought this was the best night for us to finish him off and to kill him. And that's what they did. But Alusha and her son Matthew, who was two years old at the time, she said to the ministry leaders, though my husband has died, please don't make me and my son move out of this area please let me be a a bible woman and let me go to the very people who killed my husband and minister to them is what she asked so lucia and matthew stayed in that same area she became a bible woman taking the gospel of jesus christ to many women and seeing many people come to faith in jesus and through all these stories is what you find these people had an incredible passion compassion for jesus didn't they they had this unquenchable love for Jesus. And they're willing to share the truth at any cost. They didn't have any money. They they went through difficulties. They lost all their possessions. But what they possessed was their love for Jesus. This incredible love for Jesus and the incredible love for people. That these people who hated them so much are the ones that they love so much. These people who were, used to be their family and their friends and once they came and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ didn't want to have anything to do with them. And now these people, they want to go back and share with those people who detest them, who hate them. They want to go and share their love of Jesus with them. Many times they suffer many beatings and some of them death for the gospel of Jesus. And these people and other people around the world are the persecuted church. And it's happening all the time around the world where people are being beaten and put in prison, losing their jobs, all kinds of things for, for Jesus. And what does high commitment look like? It looks like Jesus. But high commitment is effective. When people are committed to Jesus, God does incredible things in and through their lives. And we see that in just these few missionaries we find in India. So let's go back to Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, and see what happens to Stephen. Now that he shared this great message with them, gave them the gospel, gave them what they needed to come to faith in Jesus, let's look what they do. Verse 54, when they, I mean the religious leaders heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him, at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Listen what they do. At this, they cover their ears. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. And they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. High commitment is effective. It's effective. And the first thing I want you to notice in verse 55, I want to read it again. It says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There's been much written about this verse, because when you read the book of Hebrews, it says when Jesus finished his work, he sat down, at the right hand of god now here stephen looks up and jesus is standing what's the explanation for that we don't really know but many scholars believe that jesus stood in honor of this man who stood for him furthering uh, fulfilling one of the promises that jesus gave we said that jesus would stand for people who would stand for him and here was the first martyr he was honoring that first martyr We don't know. We don't know. One day we will. One day we will. When we see Jesus, we don't know. High commitment is effective, though. We know that it's effective. The second thing I want you to know is you look at this story. Maybe you say to yourself, maybe you say, maybe you don't say it out loud. say, what a waste. Here's this man, Stephen. He had so much promise. Boy, God could have done so many things. How many people could have reach, been reached by a man like Stephen, with this man with fullest passion that he had for people and for Jesus, that he's able to communicate the truth in such an incredible way? And you look at that, what a waste. Oh, no, oh, no. Effectiveness and success in ministry are not measured by converts. It's not measured by how many churches we start or how large the church or how many ministries we have. Effectiveness in service is measured by obedience. God is interested in obedience more than sacrifice. Obedience is what he wants from every one of us, that we obey him in the things that God has called us to do. Complete obedience is what God wants. And whatever that might be, in our eyes, that might look great or small in God's eyes, it is great when we obey him. Obedience is what he wants. High commitment is effective. But there was a man who was mentioned there in this passage by the name of Saul, and he stood there as a witness. And others took their coats off, and they laid him at his feet. And we find just two chapters from now after this that Saul was imprinted by that event, that God used that to interrupt his, on his way to Damascus, and that Paul's life had been completely changed. Saul's life had been completely changed. And his name was later changed to Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? You know that. And through the Apostle Paul, thousands, literally thousands would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. High commitment. It's highly effective. Highly effective. We know that through the Apostle Paul. In just a few short chapters, it's going to be introduced to him again. And then later on in the book of Acts, it's going to talk about the adventures and missionary journeys of, of Paul. Someone once said, though, that commitment can't be measured with yardsticks, but it can be measured with dipsticks and if that's true i don't know if it's true or not but it can be measured with a dipstick if we clean it off we place it in that cavity where commitment is stored and we pull it out what do we find remember maybe way up on the dipstick at one of the markings the level is committed enough to die for jesus that's the commitment way up here is said, wow we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that because probably none of us in this room are going to be called to die for jesus in our life we might but probably not That's more of a hypothetical. But maybe on the other end, way down here, it says committed enough that I'm willing to tell others that I love Jesus. Maybe it's way down here we say that. As we move up here, say, uh, maybe coming up through the the scale on this dipstick, say committed enough to kind of let people that uh, I give him my life. I give him my agenda. I give him my time, my money, my passion. I give all that to Jesus. And as we move up on the scale, maybe it's up here and you say, committed enough to share Jesus with my coworkers, with my family, with my friends, with my neighbors, with others, that I'm willing to share Jesus with others. What does high commitment level, what does it actually look like? Well, it looks like Jesus, right? It looks like Jesus. We understand it. It looks like Jesus. It, it, it's having a balance with truth, but communicated with compassion that we have for people. It's highly effective. Anytime we see that people are highly, highly committed to Jesus, we see Jesus doing incredible things in and through their life. Just look at Scripture. We all have one of these dipsticks in our lives. We all have one of these. And when we put it in and we pull it out, what do we find? I have a hunch that all of us can say, boy, there's, there's room for movement up on this scale, up on this dipstick in my life. I know I can speak for mine. There's plenty of room for growth that I can grow up on this dipstick. That I'm not there. I have not arrived. None of us have. And if we want to make a difference for Jesus. If we want to make a difference in our world. We have to be more like Stephen, who was like Jesus, right? He was like Jesus. Highly committed. Highly committed is what he was. And let's be willing to share the truth, not the deluded truth, the real truth of god's word but let's share it with others with compassion and when we do that we'll be highly effective highly effective for jesus and i thought today one of the ways to really look at this and really understand it this commitment is through communion this morning uh decided that we, we should do communion to look at the cross because when we look at the cross we find jesus was highly committed right That God, at one time, you know, we understand that all of us are sinners. And there's no hope for us in our sin. There's no way that we can bridge that gap between us and a holy, righteous, just, perfect God. And God knew this. So he sends his son from heaven. And Jesus let the glory of heaven. And he came down to this earth. And he took on the form of a human being. The Bible says he became like us. And then he went to the cross. And God placed all those things that separate you and I from Jesus, my sins, your sins, the sins of the whole world, everything that separates from Jesus. And Jesus stretched out his arms and showed this is what commitment looks like. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he paid the complete payment for our sins. And now every time you and I take commitment, we're reminded of that commitment of Jesus, that commitment, that high commitment that he has for God the Father but he also had for you and I. Because without Jesus dying on that cross, you and I have no hope. We have no forgiveness of sins. We have no eternity in heaven with Jesus. But it's only through Jesus' death upon the cross. So when we take communion, we're reminded as we take the elements, as we take the the bread, we're reminded he gave us bodies, we take the cup, we're reminded that he shed his blood. It reminds us as we take them of the high commitment Jesus gave us upon that cross. And we're also reminded as we we take that that once we come to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ now wants us to have a high commitment to him. Not so much going to the cross and dying in the cross for our sins, but that we lay down our life for Jesus so Jesus can live that life in and through us that we might be highly effective for him, right? High commitment. That we might share the truth with compassion for people. That's what he wants. For us to be used by him that's why he saved us not for we to do our own things so as we're taking communion this morning i want you to spend time remembering jesus his high commitment that he died on the cross for your sins but also be asking god and praying say god is there anything that stands before me and you sin that i'm not committed to you that i'm not highly committed to you and what do I need to do to be highly committed? What do I need sins to confess, things that are in my life that I need to put aside so I can give my life to you'll be highly committed to you, Jesus, to serve you so I might be highly effective in my life for Jesus. As always, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to partake with communion with us. We have three tables, and each one of these tables, you are find two cups, one on top of the other. One has the cracker and one has the juice. Take them both we've all received them then we'll take the the elements together okay but when i get done praying come up and receive the elements but let's just spend some time with jesus this morning and just thanking him for his high commitment that he died on the cross for our sins and also remembering him but also lord what is keeping me from being highly committed to you what is that that i can move higher on this dipstick, this level of commitment with Jesus? What will it take in my life And we just spend some time with him thinking about that, okay? Let's pray. Lord, you come and we praise you. And we thank you so much for your goodness, for all that you've given us in, in Jesus. And Lord, as we come here and we think of communion this morning, as we come and we give you our hearts and minds this morning, and remember what you so graciously did for us up on the cross, that Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins, we buried and raised on the third day. And as we take these elements, take the cracker and take the juice. Remember, you really did give your body and you really did shed your blood upon that cross. You died for us. High commitment. The greatest picture of high commitment ever demonstrated in the world was Jesus upon that cross. In order to remember you, and we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for you, do. But Lord, it's just not a picture. It really happened. That you really died for us. And because of that death, Lord, because you died on the cross, we, have, we find forgiveness of sins through that in eternity and hope and a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. And we're so thankful for that. And Lord, let every one of us remember you and what you did for us. For Lord, I pray that each one of us would examine our own hearts today. And if there's any sin between you and I, we'd confess it. Lord, if there's anything keeping us from being highly committed to you, that we confess it and we get it right with you today so that we can be highly committed people who are like Jesus, who are like Jesus, and speak the truth with compassion for people and watch you use this highly effective. Lord, we love you and praise you, Lord. We dedicate this time to you. We, we're thankful so much for communion as we take it this morning, Lord. Bless us this morning. Let each one of us, each one as, as we come before you, spend time before you, thanking you and examining our own hearts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.